Dear friends, would you turn with me now to Psalm 62. Psalm 62. Psalm 62, we shall read the 11th verse. Psalm 62, verse 11. God hath spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. Dear friends, we shall, considering those last words of the 11th verse as our title, Power Belongeth Unto God. Now Psalm 62 is unique and sweet. It's one of those beautiful psalms of scripture that in many ways comforts, strengthens, and encourages. It has one unique feature, which I'm sure those of you who have read the psalm, we shall soon go through it, you begin to see how it is so dedicated to encouraging believers. The feature we want to point out briefly, quickly as we go through is the word only used in this psalm. Just read with me verse 2. Note it says, He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. Verse 4, they only consult to cast him down from his excellency. They delight in lies, they bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. Verse 5, my soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. Verse 6, he only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. And we would also note that some of the marginal readings, if you look at the verse number one, truly my soul waiteth upon God, from him cometh my salvation. Truly. Surely, verily, my soul waiteth upon God. In church history, a man named Athanasius, who stood for the cause of Christ when the question about the deity, the, the humanity of Christ was uh, uh, raging, he said this concerning Psalm 62. Quote, Against all attempts upon thy body, thy state, thy soul, thy fame, temptations, tribulations, machinations, defamations, say this psalm. End of quote. 
Psalm 62 has sections, and those sections are divided by the word seller. So you'll notice that verses 1 to 4, at the end of verse 4, we have seller, a pause. Remember, it's a song. Pause, meditate, reflect, think through. Then you have verses 5 to 8, also ending with the word seller. A pause, reflect, think through. And of course, you have the third section from verse 9 to 12. In this psalm, I've given it some divisions because my main thrust will be verse 11. But just so we understand how we'll get to verse 11, we note first the confidence of the psalmist. Verses 1 and 2. Truly, my soul waiteth upon God, from him cometh my salvation. Some translators translate the word waiteth as silent or silence. My soul waiteth in silence. And that immediately draws us to worship and to the object of our worship, who is God. When we gather and we come into the presence of God, he is our object of worship. And so you realized that scripture says elsewhere God is in his holy temple let all the earth keep silence before him and the psalmist says truly sincerely we draw nigh God not in hypocrisy not in some kind of charm or superficiality, but we draw nigh him truly, sincerely, genuinely, and we wait in silence to hear him speak to us. And you notice that the psalmist uses these words by telling us that it is from him, from God, cometh our salvation. And the word salvation used here is broad. Salvation from sin, 
its guilt, its power, its penalty, its pleasure, salvation from our troubles and trials and needs and all the things that we go through. And the psalmist expresses his confidence because he says, my, or truly, my soul waits in silence before God. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense and I shall not be greatly moved. Shows his confidence Faith is a confident trust in the Almighty God. You depend upon God. You believe his promises. You hear him in obedience to him. And you trust him to do and perform his will, and his promises. So the first two verses speaks about that confidence in the Lord. It is a confidence that gives us a picture of one coming into the presence of the Lord as a disciple at a feet of the master or as one willing to subject or submit himself as a porter, the porter working on the clay. I am the clay, you are the porter. We come as a wife obeys the husband and submits to the husband's authority. That underlies the confidence of the psalmist. Then why the cause? Verses 3 and 4. How long will he imagine mischief against a man? Ye shall be slain all of you as a bowing wall shall ye be and as a torturing fence, they only consort to cast him down from his excellency. They delight in lies, they bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. Now, the cause for the confidence of the psalmist is simply because of the enemies. He's surrounded by enemies. Enemies who are plotting against him. And yet his confidence shows again, saying, Ye shall be slain, all of you. But of course, again we note that those enemies consult the plot. They come in with flatteries and all kinds of things. Now, it will not be out of place, friends, if we consider these words also as the enemies of the church. 
The people of the world are plotting mischief against the church. And that and in that beautiful messianic psalm in Psalm 2, we read these words. Why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves against, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. The church, the people of God, surrounded by our enemies. But again, the confidence of the psalmist shines out. And that reminds us of one of John Newton's famous hymns. Why should I fear the darkest hour? And in the seventh stanza, he says, against me, earth and hell combine, but on my side is power divine. Jesus is all. And he is mine. Note also the continuing, the continuing dependence of the psalmist upon the Lord. Verse 5 to 7, Psalm 62. My soul, he says, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense, I shall not be moved. Now, in between verses 1 and 2, 3 and 4, and 5 and 6, the psalmist again asserts the fact that though we may be surrounded, or the church will be surrounded by enemies, The church, the people of God, need to continue to depend upon the Lord. He used the word, my soul. My soul, he says, with thou only upon God. The soul, that part of us, that relates to God, the soul, my soul. And all across the Psalms, you realize that each time they use the word, my soul, they speak of that which is the very best, the very thing about man. That must be in constant communion with God. So, for instance, in Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. That continuance, my dear friends, we need. But note again, the charge of the psalmist, verse 8 to 10. Trust in him at all times. Ye people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Surely, 
Men of low, low degree are vanity, and men of high degree are a lie. To be laid in the balance, they are altogether lighter than vanity. Trust not in oppression, and become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. And that is the church. And I've read countless sermons, especially by our Puritan forefathers, on verse 8 alone. Trust in him at all times. At all times. And if you underline the all times, it gives us perfect encouragement. At all times, times of prosperity, times of calamity and adversity, times of ill health and sickness, times of trial and oppression, times of afflictions in many ways, trust in him at all times. And of course, my dear friends, it's a charge. And in so, the next verse tells us again why we should trust him at all times. Men of every rank and position are but men. They are altogether vanity. One of the Puritan forefathers said this, that the fear of God destroys all other fears. In other words, we need not fear men. They are altogether vanity. They may come with pomp and pageantry. They may come with all kinds of titles, you name them, but they are men. And they are all together vanity. Trust not in oppression and become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon. All these are part of the charge to us. But I have to move quickly to my text, verse 11. God have spoken once. Twice have I heard this. The power belongeth unto God. Here is a doctrine we are all aware of. Power belongeth unto God. What does that mean? Well, the Hebrew word for power signifies a conquering, prevailing strength. And that's why God is called El Shaddai or God Almighty. Genesis 17 verse 1. This means God has great strength, the power to do what is feasible, what is right, and what conforms to his will. 
It means he has absolute authority, infinite authority. He has sovereign right over all his creation. Job 38 verse 11. He has absolute all-ruling power over men and nations. And we're reading Revelation 19. We note the omnipotence. The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. John Newton says that is his political text. In other words, when people ask him about his politics, he says, the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. It also means that he has salvation and damnation in his hands, in his power. It means he is the supreme monarch, the source of all power is in him, and his power is inexhaustible. His power also is never used capriciously. That is the God of the Bible, the God that we believe in. All power belongeth unto him. Now how is this doctrine expressed? Well, of course, first in creation. And all the wonders of creation I was telling a few friends, just six hours down, you have heat, 34 degrees Celsius. Six hours up, you have minus five. And you wonder, we live in one world. And yet, different weather conditions. But all things have been so created in a functional, powerful, wise way by an almighty God. One that we cannot even think of or comprehend. He needed no instruments to work. We are told he created the world ex nihilo out of nothing. There was no pre-existent material. He spoke and it came into being. This is beyond our comprehension. You know, when we talk about discoveries, one preacher said, the thing is there, 
We only take the cover off, so we discover it. With God and in creation, there was nothing. He spoke. And that's why Genesis, and God said, and God said, and there was. He needs no matter to work with. He works without labor. Psalm 33, verse 9. He worked or works without any man's wisdom or design. He is original. He can choose to alter creation. As in the days of Joshua, Joshua chapter 10, verse 11 to 14, the sun stood still. Or as in the days of Ahaz, when the dial was brought back, Isaiah 38, verse 8. His power is not only displayed in creation, but in conversion. Again, let me quote one Puritan. He says, creation was the work of God's fingers. Conversion is the work of God's arm. Now, that tells us something, isn't it? Conversion is the highest ever work of God. It is the work of his arm. And Isaiah prophecy says, the arm of the Lord, the arm of the Lord shall perform this. And it's quite revealing. In creation, God wrought one miracle. In conversion, God wrought many miracles. His power is such that even his enemies cannot resist. Remember the song of Israel when they crossed the Red Sea? Pharaoh and his chariots were overthrown. So it is, friends. Power belongeth unto God. So how do we apply the doctrine? Well, God's power, like the hymn I just quoted by John Newton, against me, hell and earth combine, but on my side is power divine. The power of God should banish all fears. If we are on the Lord's side, and John Knox said this, one man with God is in majority, we must have no fear. We must have no fear of men, no fear of what the world is turning into, no fear of the things that 
seems so overpowering and overwhelming. Interestingly, you read Pilgrim's Progress and he came across a lion in a cage. The lion roared, but the lion was chained. Be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And again, one writer said, remember, the devil can only roar. He cannot bite. The saint of the Lord is safe in the arms of Jesus. And so must we have no fear. The fear of the Lord, or the power of God, we should say, should also restrain us from unbelief. And we have one clear example given us in Numbers 11. The people were complaining. They want meat to eat. Having crossed the Red Sea, they were complaining. And Moses cried unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, He said, The people are going to eat not one day or two days or three days, but a whole month. So the meat comes out of their nostrils. And Moses, for all his faith, asked God, Numbers eleven twenty one. Moses said, The people among whom I am are 600,000 footmen, and thou hast said, I will give them flesh that they may eat a whole month. Shall the flocks and the heads be slain for them, to suffice them, or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to suffice them? And the Lord said unto Moses, As the Lord's hand walks short, thou shalt see now whether my word shall come to pass unto thee or not. You know, unbelief is such a great monster that haunts us even the best of Christians often uh, you know gives in to it unbelief and yet if we remember that power belongeth unto God and that nothing is too hard for him to do or impossible for him to do, it should give us courage and strength so that we do not give in to unbelief, which many do. Thirdly, how belongeth unto God by the application of this doctrine it should subdue all hardened hearts. 
One of the things that runs through the first few chapters of Exodus is who is in charge? God or Pharaoh? Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I must obey him? And God had to prove to Pharaoh that he is the monarch of all his surveys. And so it is like man's power versus divine power. And at the end of the day, the Lord proved himself as the Lord God indeed. Pharaoh hardened his heart and the Lord hardened his heart more. But eventually, he was subdued, was humbled. Now, we read these things in scripture, not just as mere stories, but things to take to heart that the Lord God with whom we have to do, he is the one that all power belongs to. Another application of this doctrine is encouragement to go on serving the Lord. And again, we have a beautiful picture of this or example of this in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2. When he returned, the nation was in all shambles. I mean, there was not only desolation, but there was everywhere. Things are so bad. And the people he came to meet were discouraged. What did Nehemiah say? The last verse of chapter 2, verse 20. The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Let us arise and build. The God of heaven is the one to whom all power belongs. And so you see, sometimes in the service to the Lord, in ministry, we face all kinds of, I mean, discouragements and troubles because of all kinds of trials that come our way. If we but can believe that power belongeth unto God, we shall have great, great encouragement to serve the Lord. Now, I know in Britain, you are hemmed in. And any time I come to Britain, I say, I must be careful what I say. I don't want to be charged and dragged to prison for hate speech. From where I come, I'm free to say anything. And I have no problems. But over here, you are hemmed in. It is like the devil is making sure that stifles anything 
that has to do with God. I believe you, my friends, the Lord God we serve, he has all power, and all the enemies of him, or his enemies, his power can subdue them. And if we believe in that, we shall have great encouragement in ministry. Now there are some, and this is another application, of people who are just ungodly. They are a people who have set themselves to fight Christ and his cause. To the wicked. Well, God's power is against them. And again, if you read the psalm, Psalm 2, he that seateth on his throne shall laugh at them. Let the enemies rage. Let the people stand up against God's people. On our side is power divine. And the wicked shall not escape. They shall be duly punished in God's own time. They are not going to be saved by God because they are not his. They are not going to have union with him because they are marked out for destruction. We read of the angels who sinned with the devil who are reserved in chains for judgment. To the church, this doctrine assures us, and one of my favorite passages, especially in all the trials that some of us have gone through, is this, Matthew 16, 18. And upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That should encourage us, isn't it? The gates of hell shall not prevail. It's one of those shalls of scripture. They shall not prevail. Let me quote Thomas Watson. He says this, he says, the ship of the church may be tossed on the waves because sin is in it, but it shall not be overwhelmed because Christ is in it, end of quote. And so it is, friends. To the Christian, this doctrine of the power of God means all our sins can be subdued, all our temptations and trials can be overcome, all our strength and weakness, we shall be made strong. Isaiah 40, 29, you see it, we are weak, we are faint, but they that wait upon the Lord, they shall renew their strength. It means we shall have provision. But my God shall supply all your need. It means we shall have protection. We are kept by the power of God. First Peter 1.5 It means the prayers of the church can be answered and will be answered. 
Ephesians 3.20, he is able to do exceedingly abundantly. Above all, in Revelation 19, they praise God, they praise the Lord, because the whore has been judged, and the prayers of the saints will be answered. To us also, by his power, our bodies will be raised from the dead. To be with him eternally. Friends, just think through the power that belongs to God that is at our disposal. We do not deserve it. We are poor weaklings, poor weak people, sinful. Yet because of the work of grace in our hearts, He will keep us and bless us. And we need not fear anything or anyone. For we are in the hands of the Almighty God, the one to whom all power belongs. In conclusion, two things I say briefly. This power we're talking about, the Lord Jesus Christ, we are told in Revelation 1.18, has the key of justice and he has a key of justice to lock up whom he will in the fiery prison of hell. And that should scare the careless, the sinful, the ungodly, the defiant, the rebellious, the Christ-rejecter, you are gambling with your life. For we read in Hebrews, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And that living God, the Lord Jesus Christ, holds your life in his hands. And he has the key to lock you up in hell forever. And that's why we preach the gospel. We persuade men. We plead with men. The God with whom you have to do is the one who have all the power. But the second thing is this. The Lord Jesus Christ has the key of mercy to open heaven's gate to whom he pleases. The door of grace and mercy is opened. He himself is the door 
And he himself says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If he promises us salvation in him and rest and peace in him, definitely he will perform. He has the power. He has a key to open that door. And that's why, again, we appeal to people Come, come, make no delay. Come to the Savior, make no delay. Hear in his word. And if you come, he has the power to give you a new life. A new birth. He has the power to turn the chapter of sin of your life to a chapter of goodness and purity in him. He has the power, according to Jude, he is able to keep you from falling. From stumbling. Sometimes we are afraid. Can I let go of my sins? Can I overcome them? His power, his enabling power, will enable us to overcome them. These lusts and unbelief that are in my heart, his power is able to break them down. And on the cross of Calvary, he opened that door so we can come. Remember these friends, as I close, power belongeth unto the Lord. I remember the words of the psalmist, my soul waiteth upon God, from him cometh my salvation. You may have trials and afflictions and troubles and problems and challenges but in him he who has all the power all things shall be well may this day be the day that any one of us here without Christ will seek him and seek him early. Let's pray together. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank thee that we can come to thee through Christ. We are so unworthy, but we can call upon thy name because of Christ. Oh Lord, we ask that we may begin to see and to know and understand who thou art. And may it be that our faith will rest and depend upon thee.
that we may trust in thee at all times. Save then, Lord, we pray, from our unbelief and hardness of hearts and fears. Save, Lord, we pray, and grant us the joy of thy salvation, knowing we are in thee and thou art in us. Oh, bless us then. Bless us indeed, even as we ask all of these things through the glorious and blessed name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, and for his sake.